Well, hello and welcome to episode number 342 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's episode we learn that Berlin's Brandenburg Airport is almost ready and finally open its doors to the public. There's good news as Wizz Air begins uh, to open its new base at Gatwick and Lufthansa runs into a spot of bother as they discover six of their 747s are stuck in the Netherlands. In the military this week, we hear news on the E-4 Doomsday plane and a 102-year-old World War II veteran checks skydiving off her bucket list. And finally, David Kavanagh gets his question answered as the plain truth makes its very welcome return. And joining me this week, as always, he's absolutely, and I mean this, 100% stress-free this week, it's Matt Smith. He forgot to put his fader up. Then I'll try it with a fader up, shall I? Yes. <laughs> so smooth, so smooth, slick, like nothing ever went wrong. Yes, I'm. I'm very stress free. Thank you. I've had. A, I've had a few days away, ladies and gentlemen. I had. Uh, I had. I had th- uh, four rather very pleasant days in the Cotswolds. Very nice it was too. I know. I, I had the pleasure of looking after uh, Mima. Oh yes, I'd say yes. Yes, Carlos was very much on pussycat duties. Uh, mm. I have to confess, I don't know what. I mean, do you bring catnip or something? Because I've never seen anything like it. The cat was like, like she came to greet you and sit on your lap and and stuff like that. She never does anything like that with me. She ca- she can't get away from me fast enough. So uh, she's know. so gorgeous. Honestly, <laughs> uh, I don't know if any of you guys who watch the show have seen um, Matt's cat, but she is she's got she's she's got like a touch of Maine Coon sort of um, feature to her face, isn't she? As a cat, and she's quite she's incredibly fluffy. She's got like huge hair going on or fur going on but she's absolutely gorgeous yeah and, uh, uh, see, uh, the thing is is when Carlos walks in the room she literally goes bananas uh, if I walk in the room I'm very much looked at like one of life's servants uh, I mean yeah. she looks as me as if to, and and John will back me up on this because John's been here too he knows exactly what he literally looks at me like I am life's you know one of life's <laughs> lowest people you know you're, you're only good enough for opening the door for me yeah, um, Poppy does that as well oh, well yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah as I say Carlos's cat nothings me too so perhaps it's just me <laughs> <laughs> Difficult not to take it personally. <laughs> oh, they all love you, really. You, you've got Alfie. I have. He's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Good. Uh, you may notice that this week uh, we are missing uh, Mr. Bounds. Nev uh, is uh, he's off. I think he's gone to uh, another vineyard somewhere in the UK this week <laughs> right. just for, for trying okay. stuff out. So, uh, Has he? Yeah, right. it, hopefully Nev will be back next week. And Armando, unfortunately, can't be with us uh, this week as well due to work commitments. He's busy flying or uh, or drinking, one of the two, or having a good time somewhere. So uh, we hopefully, miss you both. Hopefully not at the same time. Hopefully not at the same time, no. <laughs> But but we have pulled all the stops out. We have completely obliterated our Patreon fund this week, Ooh. and uh, we've uh, got uh, our next or our, our guest uh, to sign a contract. And uh, we're glad to say that uh, for a slight fee um, of uh, just over six million dollars, right. uh, we've managed to poach <laughs> the uh, the best part of APG. So welcome oh. onto the show and uh, our oh, new host. We've got Captain Jeff, have we? Oh, brilliant. Dr. Oh. Steph. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. And it's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to an awesome show with you guys. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun and I do appreciate uh, 
you going forward with that contract it's really going to help out my students I know. The, so, the worrying thanks. thing is is both myself and john are panicking because it's just like what on <laughs> earth has he done what has he signed uh, it's like where where was the memo you know we, we've spoken I, mean, I was about a little this. surprised to get what i asked for right, but right. i you know thank okay. you okay i mean i don't doubt for a nanosecond that you're worth well, every steph, penny, steph, but, steph initially asked for five million and i said no steph don't have be six. So right. Have six. Lovely. Have okay. Six. Anyway, before the producer starts screaming in our ears. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, thanks, Steph, for joining us. It's lovely to see you as well. My pleasure. Great to so, see you. So uh, uh, there's lots to do this week on the show, but uh, we're going to say a quick mention to everyone who has joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. All the usual names in there and family members. I'm going to scroll down the list quickly. Well, Alan Loveday. Hello to you, Alan. Auntie Liz is in there. Graham Haley, Richard Adams. Uh, Rakon is in there. Andrew van der Sag. Hello, Andrew. Uh, we've got Dave Abbey. Hello to you, Dave. Uh, Neil Lamwarn. Jonathan Warner. Uh, Tanya W is also in the chat room as well this week. Hello to you, Tanya. Uh, scrolling down, make sure I don't miss anyone. Jan, uh, Jan Hubner. Hello to you, Jan. Hope you're well. Uh, Stephen H, uh, Masha, hello to you, Masha. Um, let me go. I think I don't think I've missed anyone. Hopefully not. But uh, don't forget, if you are listening to the audio version of the podcast, and you want to come over and see what the madness is like when we do a live uh, recording on YouTube, uh, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on our Plain Talking UK page on YouTube, and also the bell icon next door to the subscribe button, uh, which is right next to it, to be notified when we're live and recording the new episode, so you can join us in the live chat room or if you're like me where you think video is a very silly idea and hd is not your friend then maybe just stay on the audio version <laughs> That's, that would be my advice <laughs> no the, the chat room is too good the, ch the chat room is yeah, too okay. precious yeah, yeah. yeah. If, could, if we could do a audio version where we had access to the amazing chat room then i'd be very happy but <laughs> no no there we are Anyway, so we are going to start the show then as we do each week with a rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if everyone is ready. Oh, yeah. Let's go. We're ready. So, kicking off this week's first news story, this one comes from a few news sources, uh, the Argus.co.uk, Anna.aero, and AviationBusinessNews.com. Uh, this one, the uh, headline, Wiz Air UK opens new base at Gatwick Airport. This is great news, guys, because obviously Gatwick have had some really, yes. really bad times over the last few months with airlines yeah. moving was, was away. It, was it BA? They lost a load of BA flights, didn't they? Mm. Virgin, I think, yeah. as well. Yeah, oh, they really? lost a lot. Oh, gosh, but, yeah. um, but Wiz Air opened its third UK hub at Gatwick Airport last week. A Wiz Air spokesman said that Wiz Air started flying from Gatwick in 2016 and since then has carried almost one million passengers with the creation of a new base at Gatwick. Gatwick. Wiz Air will offer passengers even more affordable travel opportunities with 450,000 seats per annum on sale on its new routes to popular holiday destinations. Passengers can fly uh, from Gatwick with Wiz Air to a range of exciting destinations including uh, routes uh, which are new to uh, Naples, Athens, Malta and Lanzarote. Uh, Wiz Air will now have one Airbus A321 aircraft flying these new routes to and from the airport. After announcing that Wiz Air UK will be op opening its new base at Gatwick, uh, the airline's managing director, Owen Jones, said uh, the uh, expansion uh, reinforces Wiz Air 
UK's position as a British airline that is growing and creating new jobs, bringing much-needed connectivity to the UK and so helping the economy get back in the air. The Doncaster Sheffield base was also officially launched last week where an A320 aircraft is already located with another one arriving in December. By the end of the year, Wiz will have launched routes to Larnaca, Tenerife South, uh, Lublin, uh, Malaga, Lanzarote, Alicante, Poznan, Gran Canaria, Suvea, uh, I think that's Suvea, yeah, Sucheva, 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 there we go, Faro, Lisbon, Cochise, uh, yeah, Lanz, uh, Fuerteventura, and Eindhoven uh, from Doncaster. <laughs> Very, I'm sorry, I'm funny. laughing. I'm, I'm just laughing at the notes there. <laughs> very good. We, no, I think the, the Doncaster um, pronunciation guy was for, for me. Oh, right. so you're good. <laughs> the, move, the, move, the, the move means that Wiz has added over 560,000 seats per annum to its Doncaster-Sheffield capacity. The airline is now operating 132 routes to 73 destinations from 11 UK airports, and they'll also be collecting John, our producer, soon and ferrying him to the middle of nowhere for us. So, yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. And that's um, okay. Uh, I don't know what to do with that information. I'm slightly scared. Uh, for anybody who's interested, by the way, and you don't know the UK uh, geography, by the way, uh, Doncaster is probably sort of what I call it like the, the middle. Is that, lo- is that London Doncaster? The UK. London Do- it's not London Doncaster. <laughs> that's what it says when I try to book a flight from the States to London. Like, I get all these options. Right. Did I do Doncaster? Doncaster, Doncaster London yes, Doncaster okay. must be that's not far a... from London Liverpool airport right London <laughs> Liverpool okay I, shall we move on uh... <laughs> now this this is great news guys I'm glad to see this um, for, for more than one reason obviously because they're flying to Malta from there which is handy for me Ugh. but also because it does um, give, a, give a, a bit it does give a bit of um, um, hope I think for staff and people who work at Gatwick yeah, Airport. Yeah, certainly for the you know the the, the footfall through Gatwick mm. Airport it's got to be new, good news, isn't it? Because obviously having as we were saying, wasn't it? Like you were saying Virgin and both BA have obviously pulled out of there, so that's had quite an impact no doubt on on the the shops and services and the general mm. footfall going through Gatwick, I'm sure. Yeah, it's great news. So hopefully they'll continue to expand and uh, yeah, we can save Gatwick at least anyway well indeed this is true Um, so Matt the next story yes and uh, this is uh, well this is a Ryanair story but it's uh, is it doom and gloom Mm -hmm. kind of it's a sort of mixed bag I think is the best way to describe it so this is on the Irish Examiner website irishexaminer.com and the headline is Kerry Airport to remain open despite the loss of Ryanair flights so Kerry Airport is to remain open despite the uh, cessation Citation, sorry, of all of its flights apart from the twice daily route, uh, regional route into Dublin. Uh, the airport, which is heavily subsidised by the state, managed to retain all of its 67 staff during the last lockdown, uh, but the impact on staff by the recent changes is not known yet. Ryanair was the only airline operating internationally to and from Kerry and had already reduced the frequency of its flights to the UK and had stopped the flight to Germany. The aircraft, the airline, sorry, will now see 
cease flights from the Munster region, including Kerry, Cork and Shannon airports, for four weeks from November the 14th. Only the Kerry to Dublin flights operated by Aer Lingus contractor Stobart Air and uh, heavily subsidised by the state will remain. Kerry Airport CEO John Mulhern said uh, he remained open throughout the first wave of the pandemic and we will continue to operate into the future to facilitate the needs of the emergency air services who require a landing base in Kerry. The PSO route between Kerry and Dublin also continues to be a crucial lifeline for passengers travelling for essential work, education and healthcare needs. Mr Mulhern said that he was hopeful that Christmas flights would return to accommodate uh, the many Kerry natives uh, abroad. Now, um, now this is just a temporary closure as far as Ryan, or it's just a temporary stopping of Ryanair flights as far as I, I'm aware. So presumably when the spring um, uh, season starts and, and that uh, flight calendar opens up, then presumably flights will return to Kerry with Ryanair. So it's just a, a winter closure, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. I like I like the note here on the show notes that uh, John has put in that says, for reference, Knock is about twice as busy as Norwich Airport, so they must have at least, oh, what, three or four flights a week? Right, I do get very, very... In fact, actually, if anybody wants to know exactly where... Um, let, let's, uh, let's pop that up. Look, there we go. It's, so... Okay, sorry. Yes, we're talking about why is not relevant. Sorry, somebody explain to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, right. And Knock is closing for four weeks because of the uh, is another airport that's closing. But uh, the one we're actually referring to here is Kerry Airport, and that's sort of uh, well, as well, yeah, uh, I, <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you been? You've been. You've obviously travelled to Ireland quite a few times, um, Matt. Have you been down that air, that part of Ireland? No, I must. I have to confess. Unfortunately, all of the 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 trips that I've done into I mean Dublin is probably the nearest I've got to there mm. really um, most of my stuff has been Northern Ireland because I've got family there mm. um, and uh, yeah it's uh, ne never quite got to uh, never have quite you, have got you traveled to Ireland Steph there. I have um, I was actually just looking back at my photos to see if I was in that area or not because I can't remember um, close ish I went to Killarney. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in Kerry. Yeah. I did not fly over there, but I uh, think I traveled by bus. So. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That was back in. Oh man, that was that was 2011. So yeah, that's I must, been a while. I must, yeah, I think I think the furthest south I've been is um, is is Dublin, probably actually. Mm, same um, as me. Where's Giants Causeway in relation to that? Oh, it's Belfast, right? Okay, so it's northern. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So uh, yes. No, so uh, yeah, Dublin's the furthest I've been. So you've done you've done better than me, then, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I think Steph's yet to use Ryanair. So oh. I have never flown on Ryanair. That's true. Okay, lucky you. Yes, that's, that's, that's <laughs> is it? Okay, very proud. I'll wear that like a badge of honor. Yeah, although it'll absolutely. probably happen at some point. It's, yes, it's, indeed. It's absolutely. an inevitability. I'm well, sure. I always refer to it as the buses of the skies. You know, it, it, it's it's very functional. It does it does exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah, you know, I, I have no problem with that. You know. That's fine. And I must admit, I rather love that they invented these Lavanza coffees. And um, one of my friends who used to... Lavanza, sorry, I'm being told off. Uh, uh, Lavanza, whatever. Lavanza, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just... Look, Steph, look, Steph, just imagine, yeah. imagine, Southwest, they are nothing like them at all. 
Yeah, is, is I've flown Southwest quite a, a fair amount and uh, their services. Hang on, is, I don't that, know, I was is that better Southwest or worse, service. Carlos? Where, where are you going with that? No, no, I... South, <laughs> south, southwest flying southwest is like is like flying well first class compared to flying on right oh now. really oh i don't know about oh, that. i think it would be terrible. Yeah, i actually fair. think you'd probably uh, find it uh, interestingly uh jan hoover is actually saying i've been to kerry airport in 2008 wouldn't really call it an international airport mind you you see they say they call it norwich international airport as well, don't <laughs> yeah. they? and that's a that's a bit of a joke let's be honest oh. but, uh, yeah, well, well they, 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 they do have they do have aircraft fly from there, Matt. It's just that probably at least a a good sixty percent of the traffic that flies out of Norwich is probably offshore uh, helicopters that go to the rigs. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, this is it. There's a, there's a lot of... Uh, also, uh, to be fair, there's an awful lot of BA planes there at the moment as well, but not... <laughs> well, storage, yeah. 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 <laughs> storage there, there are a lot you of Embraer's sitting yeah, on the uh, There on are the on the top. I can, it's lovely, because every time I go go down the NDR or whatever the heck it's called now, I can I can see them all from the... Uh, yeah, but have you found, out, found, Matt, how annoying that is? Because literally, I'm, you, I've driven down the NDR before road, and I'm I'm like this... Um, yeah, no I mean, no, well, no, no, you see, the difference is, is you like aeroplanes and I yeah. like to be as far away from them as possible. I'm concerned so. about your yeah. lack of concentration on the road ahead of you as uh, you're driving. Uh, Steph, we all are. I'll be honest okay. with you. I, have, I, have, line, I have line assist in the, in the, in the truck, so it yeah. helps if I'm, if I'm veering off to the one side. Mm. Yeah, fine. that'll help with it. Anyway. Uh, my, Mike is <laughs> suggesting that Southwest is, is Southwest without all the glamour, apparently. Mm. Ah, <laughs> yes, all the glamour of Southwest. To be fair, I love Southwest Airlines. They're great. But same thing, you get what you... You know, it's it's exactly as advertised. Trip from okay. point A to point B. Okay. And I want to know why. You, is it even a shit? Rude, John. Rude. So <laughs> anyway, Steph, you have yes. got the next story all about the wonderful, to... wonderful viruses. Yes. So this is from Axios, I believe, dot com, and the title is Boeing Research Shows Disinfectants Kill uh, Virus on Airplanes. So Boeing and research at the researchers at the University of Arizona say their experiment with a live virus on an unoccupied airplane proves that the cleaning methods currently used by airlines are effective in destroying the virus that causes COVID-19. Why does this matter? Kind of obvious, but deep cleaning the aircraft between flights is one of many tactics the airline industry is using to try to restore public confidence in flying during the pandemic. The researchers say that their study proves that there is virtually no risk of transmission from touching objects, including armrests, tray tables, overhead bins, laboratory handles on a plane. Uh, we're not just showing we can kill things, or, uh, University of Arizona microbiologist Charles Gerba said. We're showing it's going to be safer to travel tomorrow. Um, I'm going to skip a little bit of this and go down to what they did. So they applied um, something called MS2 or MS, that's not squared. So whatever that is, it's a surrogate virus deemed not harmful to humans, but more difficult to kill than SARS-CoV-2. And they spread it all throughout the cabin. And then they took about 230 strategic high touch points that they targeted, including seat tray tables, armrests, seat cushions, storage bins, inside the lavatory and galley. The technicians then disinfected each area with various products and technologies using both manual wiping methods and electrostatic spraying. And the tests also measured how well Boeing's ultraviolet wand and antimicrobial coatings worked. So exactly what they found. Uh, the University of Arizona analyzed each area post disinfection and found that all the recommended products, methods and technologies successfully destroyed the MS2 virus and thus could be expected to kill the coronavirus as well. 
going in the University of Arizona continue to test recommended cleaning methods in a lab against uh, coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, and other similar viruses to further validate their efficacy. There we are. So now, we've actually got a little video that we're going to play that came from, I think it came from the Boeing website, so uh, let's give that a little play. We're going to have, from a microbiologist standpoint, who studied disease all my life, the safest flying experience you can have today. I'm Dr. Charles Gerba, and what I've done for the last 30 years is studied how viruses move through the environment and transmitted from one person to the next. What we're doing with Boeing is evaluating innovative strategies, really, to control the spread of SARS-CoV-2 in, in aircraft. It's really exciting working on this project because we're actually able to put a live virus in an aircraft and then demonstrate we can inactivate and kill this virus. This is uh, unprecedented. The live virus MS2 testing is something we've never done before. MS2 is a uh, surrogate virus uh, that we're using here. It's innocuous to humans. It's safe and easy to use. And in fact, it's harder to kill than SARS-CoV-2. A lot of our researchers, scientists, and engineers have tested a number of these uh, solutions in the lab, and they've gathered some pretty good results. And what we're doing is taking that another step further and really validating those results in a representative space. All the items we tested performed very well against SARS-CoV-2. We've demonstrated this works in real aircraft and it totally minimizes your exposure to SARS-CoV-2. This is an integral part of our confident travel multi-layered approach. The testing that we're doing here is really boosting confidence in ensuring that we keep our airplanes clean, safe, and sanitary. We're not just showing we can kill things, we're showing that it's gonna be safer to travel tomorrow. Thoughts, Dr. Steph? So I think um, there was a good uh, comment in the chat room that said from uh, Rakan. Uh, I hope, <laughs> Rakan, very clever. I hope that some of the new hygienic standards will be kept after the pandemic ends. And I think that's very, a very astute observation. So, you know, there's been a lot of, prior to this whole COVID-19 pandemic, um, how many times did you have stories about, you know, what are the dirtiest places on an airplane, like tray tables, yeah, handles, that, seat yeah. cushions, things like that. Um, and if we have effective methods to clean all those things, that's going to decrease risk of transmission of not only coronavirus, COVID-19, other germs, pathogens, viruses. Um, and I think it's a good idea. Excellent. Couldn't, this, couldn't agree more, really. It's, mm. Um, mm. As you say, it's... Um, one of Peace the, of mind. If, 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 if there was one thing... I mean... I, I'm I'm probably more comfortable about flying on an aeroplane now than I think I have been for a long time, and that's just because you say the standards are very high and stuff. And I mean, actually, talking uh, from my perspective, so um, many of you know, I do some coach driving, and I work for a local company, and the lengths that that the company that I work for, I'll, I'll mention them, Lambert's, um, you know, there's this very intense, deep cleaning, rich, you know, routine that we have to do every time we come back from a school run, you know, we're having to essentially deep clean the vehicle uh, morning and afternoon, you know, I mean, that's not just once a day, it's being essentially worked on, like, between each school run, I mean, it's, you, you, I, part of you sort of thinking, you know, we've great, strives have been made uh to hygiene and and, and improving standards um and you know certainly as far as the aviation industry is concerned as you say let's let's hope that that continues when we get to the hopefully the other side of this at some point 
<laughs> and then the, the follow-up question from Richard Adams was, how are they going to clean that thoroughly on a 20-minute turn? Um, so I've taken a couple flights recently, and I will tell you that before passengers have even gotten off the aircraft, there are already cleaning crews on board, like in the first few rows, trying to go through and, you know, at least wipe down all of those high touch surfaces once there's no one in those seats and then the, the rest of it is happening kind of after everyone's off before the the next flight boards yeah this is true actually they're having a conversation in the chat room about sort of where they picked up you know you know because people people will quite often come back from holiday with a, a stomach bug or or whatever and of course you're assuming that you picked it up from the um you know like like where you were staying or whatever but of course there is every chance you could have picked it up on board um the aircraft you know that that is a genuine we we know. have we have carried carry, uh, carried we have covered stories matt if you remember in the past where mm. where passengers of uh, I think it was a BA aircraft where someone was sitting in one of the Club World seats and they had like food and yeah. various yeah. bits and pieces down the sides of the seats and that. So, yeah, yeah, it's possible. I think now things are a lot better now. Things are a hell of a lot yeah, better. Yeah, absolutely. But as, as everybody's saying, let's hope that the standards maintain, obviously, you know, when, when at some point we do end up the other side of this. I mean, maybe this could be the one big positive thing that comes out of all of this. Stephen H in the chat room says um, doesn't want to live in a world where we're just exposed to chemicals everywhere you turn. Yeah, yeah, that, mm. no, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. it is a good point. Uh, the, as long as they smell nice, I don't mind. Well, yes, yeah. I suppose the interesting, uh, the interesting thing about the UV light and stuff, I suppose, is because you know they've not used those before. But presumably, that's highlighting all sorts of touch points and you know greasy marks and things that perhaps weren't you know obvious before you know the, these things weren't getting the scrutiny that they that they do now which is perhaps a good thing and hopefully the uh, various chemicals and disinfectants are going through a similar level of scrutiny in terms of their safety for yeah. uh you know as long as they're not doing us any harm that's the only thing that makes right. me a bit nervous uh, perhaps from that perspective but uh, yeah it's uh, it's it's good news isn't it i think in the long run anyway we could talk about this for hours we better move on yep uh, matt next one for you oh, and it? uh oh. brandenburg airport yay it's opening okay yes indeed so uh this is where I'm going to screw up several names because I've practiced it, but I still won't get it right. Anyway, so the, it's uh, now it's mood uh, mood died something or other. Uh, anyway, the, the the link for this will be in the show notes. Uh, anyway, the headline is countdown. Uh, countdown continues to opening of Berlin Brandenburg Airport. Now, many of you may remember that actually we covered this uh, quite a while ago. Uh, details uh, to follow. Uh, so the Brandenburg Airport, Berlin, Schlonfeld, um, Schonfeld, sorry, uh, is renamed is renamed Terminal Five. So as the opening of the Berlin Brandenburg Airport Terminal One nears on the thirty first of October. So that's tomorrow, isn't it? Re reopens or opens tomorrow. Um, I've already forgotten how he said it, but Schonfeld <laughs> Airport has been named BER Terminal Five with its airport code changing from. S, uh, Sierra X-Ray Foxtrot. Uh, with the opening of the new airport at the end of the month, um, all flight operations serving the German capital will be concentrated at a single airport. Uh, the existing facility at Schoen Schoenfeld Airport will continue to operate while Berlin uh, Tegel... Uh, Tegel, is that correct? Is that all right? To take Tegel, Tegel uh, will close uh, from the 8th of November. Oh, <laughs> Flughafen Berlin, Berlin, Brandenburg CEO Engelberg Lucht Doldrup uh, 
said uh, as of today, the official IATA code, B-E-R, stands for Berlin Brandenburg Airport. Um, Willy Brandt. Okay, what's that? Okay. Anyway, uh, at a small reception at the weekend, presumably because of COVID, the previous lettering on the roof of the terminal building was handed over to the muni municipally, uh, mu oh, muni municipality. <laughs> I knew that beer was a really bad idea. Of Sh uh, Schoenfeldt, uh, the new lettering BER Terminal Five was then officially inaugurated. Uh, Lukt Daltrup said uh, added that the SFX is now BER as BER Terminal Five. The completely renovated Schoenfeldt Airport will ensure the ne the necessary additional capacities for the next few years to reliably handle flight operations at BER. Uh, Schoenfeldt will thus remain a central part of the airport. A total of 17 airlines including Ryanair and Wizz Air will operate from Terminal 5. Uh, the terminal can handle 8 to 10 million passengers a year although I don't suppose that will be a problem for a little while uh, with capacity across the airport terminals 1 uh, two and five over 40 million a year between the opening of terminal one and the closing of Teagle all airlines will relocate the to Berlin Berlin Brandenburg Airport in stages T1 will house 120 shops restaurants and service units spanning more than 20,000 meters square meters uh, with F&B outlets fe uh, food and beverage outlets featuring a strong flavor of the Berlin region uh, now there is actually a quick co uh, correction from the article uh, so Berlin uh, Tegel will cease flight operations on the 8th not the 7th uh, the 7th of November will see the last regularly scheduled flights depart and an Air France flight will mark the last flight to depart on the 8th of November. Kind of poetic really as Air France were also the first to land at Teagle uh, with a super constellation in January 1960 and uh, actually I'm gonna there is a really lovely video that I'm just gonna play very quickly because it is so cool uh, going back to when their first flight basically back in 1960 and this is um this little video here is of said aircraft uh, coming into land at that airport uh, when it first opened. So it's kind of sweet, really, isn't it, that it's going to close with the same airline sort of flying in as its last flight. I think that's quite neat and tidy, don't was you? That, um, was that Nev there with his uh, 4K Quite possibly that was, that's Nev camera. there with his 4K camera, yes. Uh, for those of you listening to the audio version, it's a black and white video, <laughs> basically, because funnily enough, it was 1960 and they hadn't invented that yet. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's one of those aircraft, yeah. that is one of those aircraft, I, it is in, it's on my, my bucket list, to-do list. I would love, is it? love love to fly on the constellation i really would mm. yeah are there, are, are there any still airplane? in operation yeah yeah there's um breitling have got a, a constellation connie mm. um uh, based out in geneva and that i'm pretty sure there are some other connies i think uh micah would probably be the man to ask about that yeah well, that's sure true uh no that at is the true. twa hotel at jfk they have one just parked outside the um the mm. hotel itself and it's a bar inside which is actually kind of oh, nice wow. it's, indeed it's cool yeah, good. No, good. I've been there. Cool. Add, add that to the list for next year's visit, Steph. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Quick stop enough. at JFK. Lovely. Okay. Moving on to the next story on the list. This one uh, comes to us from airlive.net. And, uh, well, 
this is uh, one thing that you don't want to happen to your uh, 747s, that's for sure. Get them stuck. But the headline, six Lufthansa Boeing 747-400s are stuck in the Netherlands because they're well, just too heavy to take off. So six of the uh, 747 of the German airline Lufthansa have been temporarily parked in Twentes Airport in the Netherlands since the summer. The six uh, 747s are at risk of not being able to leave the airport due to a change from the Human Environment and Transport Inspectorate, the ILT. The first two Boeing 747s landed into Twente at the beginning of June, the last on the uh, July the 24th. Uh, the planes landed there because it was one of the few airports where there is still room to park such large planes. Lufthansa aircraft are now obsolete and will no longer be in use or used in the future. However, the aircraft will not be dismantled in 20 and have to leave soon. That's what the guy said. Mm -hmm. uh, but the six uh, 747-400s are too heavy to take off from its regional airport as the infrastructure and departure procedures have not been approved for wide-bodied operations. Twente Airport simply does not have the correct safety certificate uh, and larger aircraft such as Boeing's can land at Twente but only for dismantling. The airport infrastructure is not suitable for taking off larger and heavier aircraft. Twente Airport has been working uh, for some time to adjust the safety certificate but the airport has not yet met the necessary conditions and it's not clear how long uh, this could possibly take place. So, um, Tech, technology base, uh, the organization in charge of redeveloping the former air base and the ILT, the Dutch Transport Inspectorate, have consulted constructively in recent days to find a solution uh, for the safe departure of the aircraft, uh, they said in a statement. Uh, the one-off exemption is a contingent that special rules be followed, like flying the aircraft with little fuel and a light gross weight. Both parties agreed that the current state of affairs cannot be repeated. Lufthansa aircraft can thus depart from Twente Airport. The first aircraft should leave shortly. The RLT said the three aircraft uh, were already sold to, uh, to American aircraft recycler GE Aviation Materials and will depart before the end of this year. According to RLT spokesperson Danielle Rebel, uh, Twente Airport, offered the parking facilities for Lufthansa on its own initiative and the inspectorate was not informed in advance. Oh dear. Uh, Twente Airport simply does not have the correct safety certificate. Larger aircraft such as the Boeings can land but only for dismantling as I said earlier in the story. And uh, it says here that flight procedures uh, before departure have also got to be uh, obviously approved before they can leave. Mm. So the runway here at the airport. Uh, it's uh, 7,894 feet by 150 feet uh, with uh, a strength, it says here, PCN of 62, and there's lots of letters here, F-A-W-T, whatever that um, means. I'm sure, uh, some <laughs> Yeah, there's a, I, sh I should just explain that there was um, there was uh, so the, the research basically was was done by John because uh, and we did have a, a very long conversation uh, before the show started where uh, John explained everything to me and I'm afraid it sort of went straight in one ear and out the other because it was very complicated. Uh, but the, the the rough summary uh, of of what he, what we were getting at basically um, so the where the, the planes are basically has a runway length of seven eight seven thousand eight hundred ninety four feet which is long enough by 150 
uh, feet, which means it's wide enough, um, with a strength of PCN. Uh, so PCN stands for pavement classification number, um, which is the measurement uh, of a pavement strength. Um, and then the ACM, which is the aircraft classification number. So the the long and the short of that is essentially these those numbers should mean that it can you know there's obviously some other reason why aircraft aren't allowed to go in there and take off essentially is what it is so yeah, we did, it's we a legal a, thing or something like that is the reason why they can't we ran a story there. before if you remember mm. that there was an aircraft that was parked somewhere and it made a terrible mess of the um of the the the, the um, yes. taxiway it was parked yes. on because it was too heavy Yes, heavy. yeah, no, no, I get that. But as I say, mm. the 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 the, air, the the airport where the, where these aircraft are, um, the PCN strength, basically the concrete strength, is sufficient to be able mm. to support mm. the weight, and that's so there it's must be another all, reason. There it's must just be all red tape. Why, red tape, right? Red tape. Okay, but there must be another reason why they're not allowed. You know, why they've had to get special uh, permission to leave. Anyway, none of us are qualified enough, frankly, to talk about that in great length. <laughs> uh, but they have been granted the special permission, so they are able to take off. Those so those four aircraft will be able to leave there anyway uh, clear as mud everyone excellent excellent so matt <laughs> next story and uh we're off to mobile for the next story matt right we? okay although again when when we were having our briefing i kept referring it to mobile and uh, again getting quite waspy about my inability to read out loud uh it, yes, yeah. no, it is mobile, mobile. yes absolutely it's mobile. simple flying dot anyway i'm gonna pretend you lot aren't talking uh <laughs> simple flight whoa okay pop up i've run out of beer uh well continue well, sorry pop-ups everywhere uh it is simpleflying.com and i have got an ad blocker on yes and that's why uh so anyway simple i'll try that again simpleflying.com is the website and the headline is airbus i'm gonna ignore you now airbus to uh begin offering tours of its uh mobile final assembly line which is quite is that correct yes <laughs> oh no close uh, enough okay what was just to say it Say it again. Mobile, Al- Mobile, Alabama. Mobile, Mobile, Alabama. Okay, right. <laughs> I need to lie down. Uh, Airbus is opening the doors of its A320 assembly site in Alabama to the public next month. On Saturday, the 14th of November, Flightworks, an aerospace exhibition and education centre next door to the Airbus site, will run four tours open to anyone who can join. So according to the flight works, these will be the first ever public tours of the Alabama uh, aircraft factory. Uh, So the Airbus uh, mobile factory is the uh, major assembly and delivery site for Airbus commercial aircraft in the United States. It is one of four assembly and delivery points for Airbus A320 family aircraft and one of two final assembly and delivery points for the A oh, ah, for the Airbus A220, which obviously is their new uh, very popular aircraft. These tours will be of the A320 factory. Uh, the mobile factory will uh, produces uh, A320 family aircraft bound for North American customers. Delta Airlines, Spirit Airlines, Air Canada, and uh, American Airlines, and some uh, um, uh, sorry, and American Airlines are some of the local airlines flying A320s and their variants made in Mobile. Uh, the aircraft mobile you're doing this on purpose is relatively new the first completed plane a JetBlue A321 uh, 
left only the left the factory only in 2016 for the first time but within two years the factory had produced 50 aircraft and could pump a320s out at a rate of four a month until now the airbus factory had been largely off limits to members of the public tours were restricted to industry insiders and media however uh, flight uh, works which is jointly funded by airbus and the state of alabama is now coming to the party according to the firm's information page flight works uh, is uh, running four tours of the mobile factory in november from november the 14th uh, the tours will take 90 minutes and cost 23 dollars and 50 cents per person it seems tours. like an oddly specific, yeah, specific dollar amount number, absolutely the tours are open to anyone provided you can handle some stairs so you'll be all right then steph me not so much nope. uh while, while, <laughs> while children are permitted all adults must bring government issued photo identification and undergo a quick security check uh, flight works also notes that photography is not permitted inside the factory now uh, regular listeners to the show will know that many many years ago well, well feels like many years ago in fact it appeared on episode 158 uh, myself and owen actually went to the airbus factory in toulouse which was quite nice and because it was my tester flight wasn't it having just um had some counseling from captain al so uh, there we go uh flying so i still haven't <laughs> found that bottle of red wine uh, i would like to find that again a bottle of the flying solo which i think was because uh, i think if, if i remember correctly uh where we stayed was um literally behind the airport so we really weren't very far away from it at all um and the the tour of the factory was awesome it was a real highlight really good fun did you take pictures though uh, no, you weren't allowed to take pictures. It was, oh, it's it was just rubbish. Forbidden. No, I know, but... What, oh, uh, how boring. Yeah, it was a great experience. Mm. I recommend it to anyone. What you need to do, Carlos, is you need to... You have to go yourself. for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Indeed. I think that's the object of the exercise. It's highly recommended. And the best thing is that you can buy uh, you can buy plastic models that claim to be A320s, but are, in fact, um, 737s, um, which we found in the shop, uh, which was kind of amusing. <laughs> <laughs> for twenty for twenty three, what was it? Twenty three dollars. Twenty three dollars and fifty cents. Yes, oh, that's, yeah. that's cheap as chips. Oh uh, yes, that no, that Lovely. is trip. Yeah, I have not. Yeah. Nope, I have not been. Yeah, no, so you have. I have to not. It. No, I haven't really done any aircraft manufacturers tours or anything. I've been up to Seattle for Boeing stuff. I have not been down to the Mobile, Alabama. Well, there we are. So, well, what you need to do then is you need to do a special segment for PTUK and do just that. There you are. I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, so Boeing has a assembly point for um, Dreamlifters here in South Carolina in oh, Charleston. Wow. I don't know if they do tours or not. I'll have to oh, look okay. Into. Well, yeah, but you, that's about you've three got, hours. You've from got me. media credentials. You'll be we are, fine. Ah, true. We are paying you enough, Steph. Yeah. I just need to throw like a million of my six million at them, and I'll get like. <laughs> All access behind the right. scenes, everything. Okay. Yeah. I still, I still want to know how this was agreed. I, I, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> don't, don't worry, man. No, okay, right. Okay, just go back to sleep. Okay. Uh, next story, Steph. Steph. Yes. Steph. Yes. Steph's going to the toilet for this next story. Oh, oh. boy. Wow. Uh, well, we'll keep it classy at least a little bit. So, yeah, keep it classy. This is also from uh, simpleflying.com. Uh, United Airlines opens the first class toilet for all passengers. Uh, interesting. Uh, so starting November 1st, just this weekend, passengers traveling on United Airlines flights will be able to use the first class lavatory, regardless of which class they are traveling. In a memo to employees, the airline confirmed the change as a way to reduce queuing and crowding around the bathrooms. The memo, which has been shared on Twitter, continues to say that the cabin crew should ask passengers to please use the restroom located in your cabin when possible. 
However, there is, uh, when there is overcrowding of one restroom, passengers can move around the cabin to use a different toilet, even if it means passing from economy into first class. <gasps> Previously, United passengers could only use bathrooms in their ticketed cabin. In a statement sent to Simple Flying, a spokesperson for the airline said, the updated policy allows our flight attendants more flexibility to let customers use another lavatory during certain situations. That may include when there is a line for one lavatory, but not another, when the service card is in the aisle, etc. We'll continue to ask customers to use the lavatory in their cabin via an onboard announcement, but we've added when possible to the announcement in order to reflect the increased flexibility toilets or middle seats. Uh, the airline has said that this should reduce the number of people using the same restroom and prevent crowding and queuing in the aisles. However, the reality could be that people just start crowding the first class restroom instead. Several customers online are voicing concern that this will actually result in more people moving about the cabin. For many, the policy seems unnecessary considering that the airline doesn't block middle seats. See, I, uh, I mean, I, I'm... Am I the only one sitting here thinking, well, what I would do is wait until all the others were crowded so that I ended up having to use the first class loo just because I, I, I you know, keep it classy. Not, if I, if I, if I'm going, if, if I'm going to use a loo on See, aircraft, I told you we were keeping it classy yeah, in this, this article. I, I want to be in first class, baby, all the way. You know, the lavatory is really not any different on any of those, uh, most of those aircraft. Oh, no, come on. It'll have better soap, if nothing else. Come on. Don't spoil the illusion. Sorry. They uh, have you know, the less, no, they have the less cheap cologne in there for a start, surely. There's lo lots of love for Nev in the chat room. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> Masha, Masha says uh, Nev will be miffed. And uh, Richard Adams says Nev will have to wait for a 1A wee-wee. Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. Anyway, one last last paragraph here, I think. Uh, so according to the memo, um, they changed their policy based on feedback, both from passengers and crew. And the question will, will be whether the change will continue after the pandemic subsides. Other airlines, such as American, have long allowed passengers to use whichever lavatory they choose. However, Delta Airlines restricts passengers to the toilet in their class. And sometimes I've heard it said um, on, especially on US airlines, that it is um, due to FAA policy that passengers are restricted to the toilet in their ticketed class. Um, and I tried to do a little bit of research on that to find where that actually says that. And I think it actually has more to do with something called the cabin safety subject index and how they've, how each airline has written their proposals for cabin safety to the FAA. So that could be why it's an individual are you not, airline. Are you just not a hundred, are you hundred percent sure it's not just because those in first class don't want to mix with the unwashed in I don't class. want to mix Do you, with mean, the unwashed <laughs> if I'm sitting up in front. No, I'm just kidding. Not quite. <laughs> Not quite. Absolutely. I mean, when, once, once one has tasted 1A, why would one any way, why would although, anyone Although I would argue that oftentimes it's kind of the, the reverse because usually there's just one lavatory up front, but there might be, you know, several rows of first class seats and then you turn around and there's like, four lavatories behind you depending on what type of aircraft you're on and like one of them is in use and there's three open ones and you're like well can i just go back there but they put up a curtain in the way and all kinds of other right. stuff so. taser electric fences and yeah right. yeah it's just not, not allowed just, just just keep with keep, your own kind absolutely and everything will be yes. stay, stay with very civil <laughs> yeah absolutely keep it keep it classy ladies and gentlemen keep it That's classy right. keep it classy Indeed. no i think it's silly use whatever lavatory you want please right. absolutely when one, when one has to go same. one has to go yeah, just why are you don't, people just wait on don't that? use not... don't use the outdoor lavatory because uh, there's an outside it's lavatory tricky. It's also with the smoking section, yeah. Oh, goodness me. Right. Okay. <laughs> Moving on, gentlemen and ladies. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, 
Oh, anyway, no. so the, the next story is, uh, this is uh, the last story in the commercial segment. And this one comes to us from samchewy.com. And uh, we're heading to Russia for the next one. And I can see John's already got a smile on his face, bless him, with this story. And uh, the headline, the last Tupolev Tu-154 flight in Russia. So today in Alrosa Airlines, two Don't make him laugh because he's just taking a mouthful of water. He's going to break his laptop. Model. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the uh, the uh, today uh, the Alrosa Airway Airlines uh, Tupolev T154A flagship model of the Soviet aviation performed its last civil flight for the type in Russia. The 28-year-old aircraft with registration, uh, Romeo Alpha 85757, oh, interesting number, uh, took off from Milny Airport uh, in Yakutia with 140 passengers for a flight of two hours to Novodersk Tomachevo Airport by OVB. <laughs> he could see his little face there. That's really annoying. Uh, was it you, Carlos, that was suggesting that we have to, that whoever butchers a pronunciation yeah, yeah, has to yeah. take a drink? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The TU-154's last flight was operated by a very experienced crew. The cockpit crew was composed of Captain Alexander Leshkiev, First Officer Nikolai Vereshkiev, Instructor Igor Kantales, and onboard engineer Mikhail Boganov. Do you know what the worst thing about all this is? Is John very kindly got a, a very to a lovely, a very lovely friend of 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 his who actually speaks Mirna Russian. She speaks Russian. Right? Okay. No, 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 no. Okay. Yes, I'll bring. I'm going to bring your fader fader down there so that he doesn't get harmed. Uh, yeah, lovely. According to the Alrosa CEO Audrey Gulov, the aircraft's airworthiness certificate expires very soon. I'm not surprised. These aircraft are really old. After decommissioning, the three-engine medium-haul aircraft will remain at Novogratz Airport until a decision. Do you know Russia is one of those? Uh, Russian is one of those languages I'd love to be able to speak. Uh, can, uh, anyway, can be honest. not like that. You don't. <laughs> the T one five four. Uh, T-154's first flight took place on October the 3rd, 1968. Blimey, Matt, we were not about then. It was entered into operation for Aeroflot on the February the 9th, 1972. Blimey, we still weren't around then, Matt. Uh, the aircraft Sorry. was produced until 2013, and 1,026 were built. Uh, and uh, Andrew van der Sager said, don't worry, their replacements burn less vodka. Uh, <laughs> it's very true, actually. If you've seen one of those taking off from the uh, from a from a runway, yeah. yeah. Uh, according to the Aviation Safety Network, this type of aircraft has suffered seventy oh, blimey seventy three accidents, resulting in the deaths of th really, wow. According to the Aviation Safety Network, this type of aircraft has suffered 73 accidents, resulting in the deaths of three thousand and ninety five people. It's being retired, right? Yeah, wow. yeah I think so. so okay, yes, yeah. excellent. I don't think it's this specific. Mo I don't think it's this very plane. I don't think. Well, not, not this <laughs> very plane, but the one five four. This is um, this type, aircraft. Yeah. Is, is this aircraft um, fairly similar to the the seven two seven in its uh, in its sort of kind of style and size? Mm, yes, the seven two seven. And the detail. I should just stress legally different, uh, <laughs> but it's very but very different indeed. Yeah, but um, I, I, I do you know what. For for all the um, bad press these aircraft get, the Tupolev aircraft get, 
Um, you know, I've, I mean, I've flown on the 134 many years ago, and I'll tell you what, the, it is testament to how these aircraft are built because they are, they've lasted quite a long while as passenger aircraft. Uh, Lane Street um, has suggested that it was, in fact, the 727 ski. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but no, they've, they've, they've lasted well. They've done well. Let's be honest. They've done well, guys mm. and girls, these aircraft. But uh, yeah, I think um, airlines like Aeroflot in Russia now have, uh, have started uh, buying a lot more uh, Boeing and Airbus products now. Right, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, less, less, um, less patents, I suppose, are broken if they do it that way. Any other Russian air? John's asking me, have I ever flown on any other Russian aircraft? No, the 134 was the only one, or 134A was the only aircraft, Russian passenger aircraft that I flew on as as a youngster, uh, which was. It's, it's like a mad dog, yeah? It's a uh, twin engine, t- um, uh, rear engine mounted engines on that, on the 134. And uh, yeah, ex converted bomber, I will say, the 134 oh. was. Yeah. Oh, how lovely. Yeah, back in the day. That sounds very sweet. Uh, yeah, it's good, uh, it's good to see the, that uh, they've lasted the time, but they're being retired. I would imagine they'll probably be some of these end up in a museum somewhere in Russia. Have I flown on any Russian aircraft? No, I have not. Mm, there we are. Long but if she continue. did, she would take a parachute with her. Right. <laughs> Might not be a bad idea. Even though there's 3,000 plus deaths. So, yes, I maybe. can't believe that is incredible. Quite, high, quite a bit. Yeah, seems yeah. very high. high doesn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, but perhaps we're the only ones that know about those numbers, which is why people were still willing to get on them. I don't know. You know mm. Not that there's mm. any sort of, you know, yeah, I'm being a little controversial. I'll shut up, shall I? Okay, good, lovely. Next. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna uh, we're gonna before, hand before things. before I end up in you know Salisbury or wherever it was and get poisoned. Um. Do you want me? Do you want me to do this, Matt? Or are you okay? Uh, yeah, no. You, was it Salisbury? No, where was it? Salford? Uh, no, where was it? So for those of you Sanford? who watched the. Sh- so, no, it wasn't Siberia. No, where was the poisoning? Somebody tell me where the poisoning was. Oh, God, was. let's just get off the poisoning. Look, let's just drink beer. Okay, okay. all right, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, it's like that AA advert, isn't it? It's like, I'm not, Dad, I'm not helping much, am I? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, okay. Eh. Yeah, it was Salisbury, good. Okay, I was busy. Anyway, yeah. anyway, anyway, before the chat room goes into meltdown about Salisbury, okay. um, <laughs> we are going to move on now to the next part of the show, which is... A very welcome return back to the Plain Truths. For those of you who've been uh, missing the Plain Truths, we're back. And this week, uh, Matt put uh, David Kavanagh's question to Captain Al. And he was reading an article about an ATSB report where a pilot's attempt to avoid overspeed resulted in crew members getting hurt. So this week, uh, Matt asks the resident expert, what is overspeed? Hello and welcome to another Plain Truth and this week we're going to be talking about overspeed. Joining me as always is the legend that is Captain Al. Hi Captain Al. Hello to you and thanks for having me back. <laughs> always a pleasure, never a chore as they say. Uh, <laughs> right. Now well, listen, we've, we've been contacted by one of our listeners, David Kavanagh, and uh, he uh, shared with me an article uh, about uh, overspeed and it involved, I'll give you a rough summary, basically it was uh, a pilot was avoiding overspeed, uh, trying to avoid overspeed led to a crew member breaking their leg, an ATSB report finds. And uh, his question really was what is overspeed? 
and how would that cause something like what we read in this article about uh, basically somebody getting badly hurt? Okay, so this is a aerodynamically quite a complex question, so we'll keep it fairly straightforward. So when an aeroplane is flying, there are an area where it's basically of speed that it's safe to fly. If you become below this speed, then aerodynamically, the wing will stall. So it's not an engine stall. It's not like your, your car engine stalling. It just in simple terms mean that the wing is no longer producing lift. Right. And it is the, the lift that keeps the aeroplane in the sky. So basically, the air over the surface of the wing isn't traveling fast enough to produce the lift to keep the weight of the aircraft in the sky. Now, it gets a bit complex because it's all to do with angle of attack rather than speed. And you will hear uh, angle of attack or alpha mentioned from time to time. And that is the critical thing rather than a speed because speed varies with weight, whereas the alpha uh, is a, a much more simplistic scale uh, to determine, but actually quite complex in detail. At the other end of the spectrum, if an aeroplane goes too fast, then it will start to experience other undesirable aerodynamic effects. So quite clearly at the low end of the spectrum, if the aeroplane goes too slow and falls out of the sky, that's not good. At the high speed end, as we get faster and faster and we start to approach supersonic speed in an aeroplane that's not designed to go supersonic, undesirable aerodynamic effects start to happen. And this was um, kind of experienced, uh, Captain Nick might correct me on this, but sort of during the Second World War when uh, pilots were starting to get things like Spitfires near, near supersonic speed in, in the descent. So they were diving down getting towards supersonic speed and the aeroplane was sort of pitching more and more forward despite the fact that they wanted to pull out of the dive and the aeroplane would just sort of unfortunately go straight into the ground. So we're not going to get into heavy aerodynamics but there is a relatively small speed range for which the aeroplane should be safely operated. So if you overspeed the aeroplane, which is most likely to happen in the descent, and indeed this was the case with the Virgin Australia, the crew were asked by air traffic control to keep a high rate of descent, a high speed up. And as the aeroplane started to approach the upper end of the safe speed regime, so it was approaching the overspeed, right. the autopilot would deal with this. However, in this particular case, the captain felt that the autopilot wasn't dealing with it and he felt the need to intervene. Pause, semicolon, new paragraph. Matt, are you a roller coaster kind of person? Uh, me personally, no, I can't think of anything worse. I have to be honest. I'm right. more I, a... I thought that <laughs> might be the case. Have you ever been on one? Uh, yes, yes, I have, mostly under right. duress and being forced by my now ex friends. But yes, yes, right. I have been okay. on one. So I want you to, uh, without too much trauma, imagine you know your, your bog standard sort of big dipper light roller coaster. So you trundle up to the top of the hill, yep. and then you go down the hill. 
and usually then you go back up a hill, yeah? Yeah. So as you're going downhill quite fast and you reach that point where the roller coaster is starting to climb back up again, can you remember what happens to your body when that's happening? Well, I mean, it's, it's sort of thrown, thrown all over the place. It's that lurching feeling, isn't it, as it switches yeah. from so going as, down as, going as, Yeah, as the, as the roller coaster starts to go back up the hill, you start to encounter positive G. So you're forced back down right. into your seat, aren't you? Yes, 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 yes. So when the captain decided to intervene by pulling out of the dive, as it were, that's exactly what he did. So he introduced quite a, a large amount of positive G. Um, and with it being a, uh, a 737, so conventional no-fly-by-wire, um, the harder you pull, more G. And uh, that's unfortunately what caused the uh, cabin crew member to become unstable on his or her feet, thereby breaking the leg. So his fear was overspeeding the aeroplane, um, which is justified. What he did, you know, we're not going to, you know, question his actions, no. if you like. But what he was preventing is the aeroplane overspeeding because we don't want to take it into the area called uh, transonic, which is the transition into supersonic, um, because we just don't want the aeroplane to go into that unstable state where it would probably start to nose further forward. So regardless of the fact that you're pulling back, it's almost like the controls are reversed and the aeroplane is going further and further nose down. Oh, wow. And that's not nice. No, no, absolutely. And obviously potentially very catastrophic. Yes. Yeah. So we have um, various indications on the flight deck to alert us of this. So... As we're talking about an old-style aeroplane like the 737, at the low end of the speed scale, uh, as we approach that point where the wing starts to aerodynamically stall, we have a, a couple of things. So we have a stick shaker. So the yoke will actually be physically shaken by a, a mechanical motor. So that's an alerting device. And then if we still haven't actually rectified the speed issue, eventually something called stick push will kick in, which will actually physically push the stick forward. The idea being, of course, that if you push the nose forward or push the stick forward, the nose will go down thereby increase the speed and uh, stop the aerofoil from stalling. At the other end of the speed scale, at the high speed uh, scale, we have something called the barber's pole. It's a uh, red and white pointer on the airspeed indicator. Now, depending on your altitude, determines where that pointer is. So it's, it's a movable feast, if you like. So um, this is where it gets a bit complicated because the higher you go, uh, the less in knots the airspeed indicator will read, uh, but then you start to get into Mach numbers. But basically, wherever you happen to be, there will be this uh, red and white pointer now. Aeroplanes need to operate at the highest altitude possible for efficiency. And the higher we go, the thinner the air gets. So therefore, there's less air to hold us up, if you like. And because of that, the gap between our lowest safe speed and our highest safe speed is relatively small. 
um, and it's an area called Coffin Corner because the higher oh, you wow. go, the, the smaller the margins get. Now, right. uh, it may well be uh, that the gap between uh, low speed and high speed is only, you know, 10 or 15 knots. So uh, there isn't a lot of speed to play with up there. No. Now, it may be necessary to be up that high because you might need to be up there because of other traffic or uh, weather beneath you. But uh, if you're encountering any turbulence at high altitude, you may want to descend to increase the margin between your low speed and your high speed. Wow. I, so, I mean, there's, there, again, lo lots of uh, really interesting elements to this uh, uh, for me. And so really, the uh, I don't, as I say, I don't want to go into too much detail on the article, essentially, but uh, the, there must be a reason why the pilot, d does the autopilots occasionally get it wrong then? I mean, it's that, the, the, from, I don't, I'm not quite sure why he would take it out of autopilot. So in answer to your question, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. A lot of us have got used to having cruise control on our cars. And yes. then in recent years, we've had uh, adaptive cruise control where the car will use some form of radar to monitor the gap between you and the car in front. So even though we've set, say, for example, 70 miles an hour on the cruise control, if we're catching the car or vehicle uh, in front of us up, we will start to slow down automatically to maintain that gap. Yeah. Now, I had a car that did that, and it would control the speed all the way down to a safe stop. Now, it takes a lot of courage of conviction to sit there as you're approaching a stationary traffic jam ahead and allow the car to come to a stop, knowing right. full well that it's, it's going to, to having, judge having the distance faith, quite accurately. Yeah, having full yes. faith in the equipment, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So the key thing here is... Like any other piece of automation, it can go wrong. So if you think that it's not doing what it should do, the golden word is intervene. How you intervene is very much a function of where you've got yourself into. So if you think that the greatest risk is the aeroplane going transonic and then you know diving spectacularly uncontrollably to the ground, yeah. then maybe your best strategy is to pull out of that dive. Um, everybody's kind of squashed into their seats and you have a small amount of collateral damage. So, yes, just like any other piece of technology, it can go wrong. And as you push it to the limits, if you like, then potentially the time that you have to assess whether it is doing what it's supposed to do or not becomes less. Yeah. So the... The way that you descend the aeroplane um, sometimes uh, can be quite close to uh, the high-speed awareness. Now, as you're coming down into thicker air, you're less worried so much about uh, going uh, supersonic, as you were, because that, that's not really going to happen, uh, because the lower down you get, the, the less likely that is in a passenger transport aircraft. So that's not really the risk. It's just generally bits flying off the aeroplane because it's not designed to go that fast. But the big consideration close to the ground is hitting something. So we talked in a previous episode about wildlife strikes. So the faster you're going, the more damage something will do if you hit it. Right, yes. <laughs> Basic rule of thumb, as they say. Well, Yes, uh, and it's exponential. So 
uh, it's a factor of, of two. So it, it's not a linear thing. It's exponential. Yeah. So it's a factor of two. So Absolutely. Well, uh, Al, thank you very much for, for covering that subject. And hopefully, David, you have all the answers there that you need. But for now, Captain Al, thank you. It's a pleasure. If you want to take your knowledge to the next level, sign up for a subscription at the A320 Lounge. Our online video courses combine whiteboard-style lessons with full failure demonstrations shot in 4K in state-of-the-art simulators using a professional production team. Go into your next simulator session with confidence, having seen failures run in real time and with the background knowledge to answer any questions from your instructor. To get more information and to sign up, visit a320lounge.com. Oh, it's been so nice to have the plain truth back. Thank you, Captain Al, as always, for joining me in doing those. And uh, genuinely, if anybody has any questions that they'd like Captain Al to uh, give you the answers on, do like what David Kavanagh did. Uh, get in touch with the show, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Or in fact, uh, in David's case, he actually sent us a message uh, within Facebook Messenger. And uh, yeah, as soon as we get the details, uh, I've got a hopefully uh, in a couple of weeks, we've got another recording session set up with Al. So if there's anything you would like the answer to, then make sure you get in touch. As I say, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Any sneak peeks, Matt, what ne uh, next week's about? Uh, you're relying on me having a memory there. That's probably okay. your first call. But I'm sure John will be able to remind me of some of the topic subject matters that uh, yeah, no, no, we've got engine failures is one of them. Oh, blimey. Yeah, fuel issues. Uh, we've also got um, uh, pilot and uh, crew hours as well. That's another subject uh, that I was quite interested in. So a few mm. more to, to look forward to coming up soon. But yes, as I say, please do uh, get in touch with your suggestions and then Captain Al will answer your questions in a forthcoming Plain Truth. Excellent. So we're going to move on then with the next part of the show. And uh, he's not here, but uh, we've got some stories obviously put together by... Uh, Armando and the team. So we're going to do some military news if everyone is ready. Ready. first military story is with me and it is from the uh, where we are uh, i think where where tv sorry we are <laughs> i was gonna say anyway uh, the, the, uh, the headline is the navy identified the two pilots killed in friday's tragic plane crash in foley so u.s navy lieutenant rhiannon ross of wixom uh, michigan and u.s coast guard ensign morgan garrett of Weddington, North Carolina, were identified. Mm, actually, that's very close to me. But is um, it? Yeah. So really? it made made big you know, news yeah, here. Big but, news. Yeah, yeah. I bet. Uh, anyway, they were identified as the service members who died in the crash. Thirty-year-old Ross, an instructor pilot, and twenty-four-year-old Garrett, a student aviator, took off from the Naval Air Station Whiting, uh, Whitting, or is it Whitting or Whiting? I'll say Whiting Field. Apologies. You know, I probably should know, and I yeah. I we'll no say idea. Whiting Field in Milton, Florida, uh, on a routine training flight when their plane crashed around 5 p.m. on Friday, the 23rd of October. 
the Navy Times reported Ensign Garrett graduated from the US Coast Guard Academy in 2019 and majored in marine and environmental sciences. Garrett was a regimental activities officer at the Academy and competed as a middle distance runner in track and field. Heartbreaking doesn't really quite capture the emotion behind it to know that those officers, friends and shipmates of ours aren't going to be there when we look for them on Monday is very difficult. They'll be dearly missed, said Commander Zachary Harrell, who's a Naval uh, Air Force's public affairs officer. Their spirit, friendship and devotion to their country will not be forgotten. Um, so the VT2 uh, Doe Birds released the following statement on Facebook. So the Doe Birds and supporters, it is with a heavy heart that I share the loss of two of our squadron members. Friday evening, Lieutenant Rhiannon Ross and Ensign Morgan Garrett. During a training mission, their uh, T6B crashed into a residential area near Foley, uh, uh, we are thankful no one on the ground was injured, but sadly neither crew member survived. Our sincerest condolences and prayers go out to the family members who have suffered this tremendous loss. I cannot express the devastation we all feel at this time. I'd like to personally thank all of the support we've received from family, friends and colleagues from all over. I encourage everyone to take care of each other and the families directly affected by this tragedy as we navigate through the healing process. Sincerely, Wes Barnes, VT2 Co. I mean, it's a. I mean, these stories are never. Um, you know, they're always so sad, aren't they? Uh, it's mm. just. Well, it, I, it is what it is, isn't it? At the end of the day. Um, so the aircraft they're in, the T6 Texan, um, it's a trainer. It's a, the trainer aircraft uh, used by the uh, U.S. Air Force. It's also used um, by the Royal Canadian Air Force as well, and also the Greek Hellenic Air Force. Um, but um, came into service in 2001, this aircraft. But it's it's a very very well proven training aircraft, the uh, T6. Mm. Um, yeah. So the, the picture yeah. we're looking at at the moment on screen is is Lieutenant Rhiannon Ross, and the picture just before it, Ensign Morgan Garrett. Um, very sad. Very sad indeed. Oh, definitely very sad. Mm. I haven't heard any more about, you know, potential cause or anything like that. But well, I mm. guess that'll all that'll all yeah, be to come. Won't much it? later. But for the moment, sure. let's uh, let's concentrate on those who've uh, who are who are grieving at the moment. And mm. uh, exactly thoughts and condolences to everyone involved. Obviously. So the next story, moving on. Uh, this one is on the military um, dot com website. Uh, Air Force delays moving forward with the E-4B doomsday plane replacement effort. So the U.S. Air Force is delaying the official solicitation for its E-4B night watch replacement, citing a new acquisition strategy approach. In an update last week, the service said it was uh, it recently uh, classified its survivable airborne operations center, or SAOC weapon system program intended to replace the infamous nuclear command and control aircraft uh, commonly known as the doomsday plane as an acquisition category 1d program that category covers major procurements uh, typically consisting uh, or costing billions of dollars uh, the declassification requires a defense acquisition executive who reports to the defense or deputy defense secretary to oversee the program because of the change uh, the request proposal originally planned for release in December 2020 is delayed according to the pre-solicitation notice the service said additional timeline details would be forthcoming 
Last December, Congress authorized $16.6 million for the SAOX research and development. The Air Force and Navy, which oversees the E-6B Mercury fleet, a companion aircraft to the E-4B, want to uh, consolidate the two aircraft's missions. E-4B, known as the National Airborne Operations Center, can be used by the President and Defense Secretary to execute operations in the event of a nuclear war. The E-6B, looking glass, aircraft serves as an airborne communications relay between the Pentagon's National Command Authority and U.S. nuclear submarine bomber and missile forces. The Navy keeps 16 E-6B aircraft, which are based on a commercial uh, Boeing 707 and began flying in the early 1990s. The Air Force has four E-4Bs which are modified versions of the Boeing 747 and have been in service since the 1970s. Traditionally used by the Defence Secretaries for Transport around the world, the ageing Nightwatch had to ditch that secondary mission because too many E-4Bs required maintenance, according to a report from Defence One. The website noted that the E-4B and the two planes used by the President are amongst the oldest 747-200s still flying. Wow. wow. Uh, small fleets are a drain on the service because they drive up uh, operational costs, according to a 2019 report. The Air Force of the Future, a comparison of alternative force structures by Todd Harrison, Director of the Aerospace Security Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. The problem that the Air Force has right now, which is making its operation, uh, operating costs so much higher, is because they have so many small fleets, he said. The E-4B was built to withstand an electromagnetic pulse in the event of a nuclear blast. Uh, the Air Force is hoping for the same hardened architecture in its replacement. In uh, the case of national emergency or destruction of ground communicator or command control centers, the SAOC aircraft will provide a highly survivable command control and communications platform to direct U.S. forces, execute emergency war orders, and coordinate actions by civil authorities, according to the service's initial notice posted last December. Now, you know, do we honestly? I'm I'm hoping we don't have any wars between now and you know the end of days. But um, you know, do we need all this sort of kind of stuff? Really? I guess. I mean, better to be prepared. I suppose, yeah. In case some crazy, I don't know, someone comes up from somewhere. But I think there's a, there's more on people's plate these days with uh, what with COVID nineteen, and of course today we had that um, terrible earthquake in Turkey as well. And I think people have got uh, enough on their plate at the moment without worrying about wars anywhere. Although yeah. there are wars still going on, I suppose. But um, yeah, yeah. So moving on to the next story, something more cheery. And uh, Matt. You've got a story on the Marine Corps saying... No, you no, skipped mine. I don't think so. Oh, where am I? <laughs> oh, am I? Sorry, Steph. Sorry, sorry. Steph. Actually, no, Steph. Sorry, Mi mild panic there set in. Sorry. That's all right. I'm here to set Carlos straight as well. <laughs> yeah, if, 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 you, if you hit the space bar, the page goes all the way down the bottom on <laughs> one That's it. Right. Yeah. Okay. We'll blame the keyboard then well, anyway, not this, the operator. This is okay, good, good. Quite <laughs> a cheerful story and one I enjoyed quite much. Um, Anyway, this is from cbsnews.com, and the headline is 102-year-old World War II veteran checks skydiving off her bucket list. So a World War II veteran was honored in her 
hometown on Thursday. For more than a century, she has never stopped reaching new heights. Millie Bailey said she always wanted to go skydiving, and she recently checked that off her bucket list at the age of 102. When asked what it was like to jump out of an airplane, Billy responded, it was great. At one point, the wind had gotten pretty strong and I was tumbling and I felt like I was by myself. I wondered where the paratrooper had gone. <laughs> she called it the thrill of a lifetime, a lifetime that's been full of thrills. One of the biggest she said was meeting former President Barack Obama, who honored her military service. In World War II, she joined the Women's uh, Army Corps, rising to unit commander and was one of only two African-American women in her class at the um, I don't even know how to pronounce that, Adjutant General School. She retired from government service 45 years ago. Uh, CBS News asked Bailey, did you slow down when you retired? Not really, she replied. Bailey enjoyed one more thrill. A park in Columbia, Maryland was named for her uh, in honor of her devotion to serving others. Having conquered skydiving, she now has her sights set on the next big thrill. She says, I would still like to meet Michelle Obama. That would take the last thing off my bucket list. Maybe so. she doesn't. Maybe it's good to at least have one thing left on your bucket list. Always have one thing left <laughs> yeah, on your bucket list. You know, always yeah. have one if thing. If your bucket list is empty, is empty is, you know, yeah. think right. Well, that's it. That's Probably me done. Good, then, yes, I'm 102. Yeah, exactly. I'm done now. Yeah, well. absolutely. I mean, it's just, I, well, I, just such a great video, isn't it? It's a real make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. I think you, you always, she's you always braver associate, than me. You always associate skydiving with with, you know, young people like Dr. Steph, but. I mean, obviously, Steph, you you do skydiving quite often. Is mm. is there kind of are there a lot of kind of nannies and granddads who who? Come I, so there's definitely a, a segment of older folks who who come out and jump, and some of them are you know sport jumpers still, so jumping individually, um, 60s, 70s, that certainly happens, um, and a fair number of um, much more elderly folks who come out to do a a tandem skydive, like this lady. Wow, mm. that's so good. Wow. No. Matt, you, Matt, I think you should um, have a go. The deadly silence. <laughs> it was quite silent there. One day, you know, one, we know, we know a couple people around the PTUK uh, environment who could help facilitate that. One day, I shall go to Matt. I'll say, Matt, here we go. Have this, have this glass of milk. Just drink this milk, will you, Matt? And then I ain't getting an old plane, fool. Next thing you know, Matt will be. <laughs> Yeah, apparently I'm yes. going to be drugged, ladies and gentlemen. That's essentially that's what's right. going to happen here. Yeah, that's all right, uh, uh, John. Right. Don't worry. The uh, yeah. an astute tandem master will not allow that to happen. <laughs> it, it worked for BA. Come on. Right. Okay. Uh, lovely. I have no words for you, Carlos. I'll be. I'll be brutally honest. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about this later, uh, John. Yeah. Will we hackers like? Moving on. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, super cool lady. Um, definitely sounds like someone to. I'd like to aspire to. Um, Indeed. You know. Yeah, absolutely. On to the last story then. And uh, this is on the Marine Corps Times.com website. And the headline is Marine Corps say goodbye to the Super Cor Cobra. Cor Sorry, what? Core. It says this has got Cor corpse written down here. You were given a pronunciation no. guide. There's a, in red. <laughs> oh, there's a pronunciation guide that I didn't bother with. So it's core. Okay, lovely. Okay. Uh, right. Okay. So. <laughs> okay, we'll pretend that never happened, shall we? It's all right, I'll fix it in post, it's fine. Uh... <laughs> 
So, Matt, what's going on with the Marine Corps? I no Saying longer care. Sorry, it's, uh, so the Marine Corps dot com and the head. Of, I'm not doing it on purpose now. Uh, I'm just going to keep doing it on purpose. Uh, the Marine uh, the Marine Corps says goodbye to the so- Super Cobra. Sorry, I shouldn't be laughing because it's a very sad story. With the, uh, its final flight over the New Orleans skyline, the Corps said goodbye to the historic AH-1W Super Cobra after 34 years of service as the Corps go to attack helicopter the first uh, super cobras were uh, delivered to the corpse uh, to the corpse <laughs> why has it got a b on it anyway uh, on the march 27th 1986 and during the next 13 years the corps built up a, a fleet of 179 of the bell manufactured attack helicopters a press release from bell said super cobras at, uh, racked up uh, 933,614 flight hours since it first hit the fleet deploying with the marines all around the globe uh, the marine corps has uh, the marine corps has operated <laughs> in future don't put the p in because I'll just keep reading it out, uh, has operated the whiskey since uh, the early 90s, operating them in operation with uh, Iraqi Freedom, um, Operation Enduring Freedom. They did the Gulf War. They did eyes over somewhere I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. They... Uh, Mogadishu, sorry. Okay. And uh, in Somalia, uh, they... Uh, operated the MEUs across the globe. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Daniel, the executive officer for the Marine Light Attack Helicopter Squadron 773, said in a video from the Marine Corps. So the final Super Cobra to fly in the Marine Corps uh, belonged to the reserve HMLA-773 based out of New Orleans according to the Marine Corps uh, releases on the Defence Visual Information Distribution Service. The aircraft hit the unit from the Bell Factory in 1994 and deployed to Afghanistan with the unit from 2003 to 2005. Major Patrick Richardson, the active duty component um, executive officer for the HMLA-773 said in the video uh, Richardson has the honour of being the last Marine to to pilot uh, the Super Cobra with Daniel acting as his co-pilot Captain Joseph Butterfield a Marine Corps Corps, uh, spokesman told Marine Corps Times on Monday I'm yeah <laughs> it, right, okay. I'm being told apparently it arrives from the the Latin. Um, yeah, just FYI, anyone, if you want me to say that right, don't put the P on because all I see is the P. <laughs> this is a Marine Corps, everyone. Just, just stop peeing. Uh, I believe you're trainable. There, we can, we can figure it out. Trainable over uh, time. Yeah, uh, people have been trying for years, Steph. No chance. Uh, <laughs> now, Matt, you've got the picture of uh, of the helicopter on. You've put the picture up on there. The a the the, the helicopter on this story. Uh, the AH-1. Now, whenever I see that helicopter, <laughs> all I can think about... Richard Adams says corpse for okay. A corpse is okay for Halloween. Good point. Is Blue Thunder. <laughs> now, you've got to go back to the 80s for that, but the series Blue Thunder that used to be on TV... No, that... Never seen it. <sighs> you had Airwolf, and you had... Yeah, Blue no, Th- I remember Airwolf. Airwolf was always the most popular one. Everyone knew Airwolf. And yeah. there's also the Blue Thunder series, and that, that helicopter always reminds me of Blue Thunder. Yeah. 
I, 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 I have nothing to compare it with. I've never. Have you, have you seen Blue Thunder, Steph? Steph's, no. way, Steph's way too young to know that. Right. Okay. And I'm presuming I, I John literally is... have no idea what you guys are talking about <laughs> anymore. Okay, so fair enough. <laughs> uh, yes. No. Fair. Yeah. That, that, that seems fair. Yeah. And as I said, I'm not even going to ask John because you know. <laughs> Oh, 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 John has seen it. Oh, there we are. Okay, lovely. <laughs> no, They've they done I some various a... spin-offs and stuff. I, I forget who the, the main character was in that now. That was quite a, a well-known character. Right, okay. Yeah, John is saying that he saw, he saw a film, basically, that he thought it was a film. I, I, I don't know. I, 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 anyway, uh, there we go. <laughs> Carlos? I'm, intri I'm intrigued now. I'm just trying I'm oh, just trying to remember who Why the, don't you uh, Google it during the next bit? <laughs> Frank Murphy, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can, can, can um, we get on with the show? Blue Thunder. You... Blue Thunder was really. Uh, Blue Thunder was 1983. That was well done, and uh, yeah, the, it starred someone. Anyone who, in the show Matt, notes? Just out Matt, of interest. Anyone Matt, reading the show notes? No. Matt, you remember? Matt, you remember the, the film Jaws? No, I don't. Do you remember Roy Schneider? Yes, Sh I remember uh, Schneider. Roy yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was yeah. the the okay. guy in Blue Thunder. Okay, I, I we've got right. that sorted now. We're done. Okay, lovely. Yeah. Uh, anyway, on to listener I feedback. Hate, I'm still lost. I, I don't yeah. know. Uh, what? Yeah. Anyway, uh, for the last time of asking politely, listener feedback, please, Carlos. <laughs> so over the last few weeks, we've been playing some listener feedbacks that were all from the competition that we set. Uh, a while back from the Plane Reclaimers. Uh, so if you've not heard of them or seen what they do, don't forget to check out episode 324 where we had Andrew on as a guest on the show, Andrew Keegan from the Plane Reclaimers. But uh, we had the competition and we asked you to send in uh, aviation in your live stories. We've been playing some out. We've still got a few left. And this week's entry has come from Jacob Darlington-Brown. Aviation in my life. By Jacob Darlington Brown. I grew up on the south coast of New South Wales, about two hours south of Sydney, but more importantly, only 30 minutes north of HMAS Albatross, which is the main naval air station for the Royal Australian Navy. I remember going to air shows there back in the 90s as a kid, watching the planes and absolutely loving it. We also used to spend many weekends down in Jervis Bay, which is just to the east of the airbase, and we used to sit on the beach and watch the New Zealand Air Force A4 Skyhawks run low-level practice missions. Often we would be sitting on the beach or in our boat, and away off in the distance we would hear the scream of the jet engines approaching, and sure enough, two of the A4s would come overhead so we could almost touch them and as they blasted overhead during a practice run or something. I can still remember feeling our whole body shaking with the sound of the engines blasting what felt like only feet above our head and watching them dance away the sky as we waved from below. Anyway, fast forward 15 years and many air shows later, I was working in an office job in Sydney, blissfully unaware that flying was something mere mortals could do. Until for some reason I decided to look up my local airfield, which was Bankstown Airport and the first flight school that came up was an aerobatic flight school that flew Robin's 2160s, which are a two-seat bubble canopy aerobatic plane with a centre stick controller like a fighter jet rather than a yoke. And they were the coolest looking plane that I could imagine to fly, as they were also painted up to look like the Red Baron. Needless to say, 
I called them up and a few months later I started my GFPT, which at the time was something similar to a recreational pilot's license that only gave me the ability to fly the Robins in the circuit and to and from the local training area, but most importantly I could go and fly aerobatics, which was all I really wanted to do. Like most of us, as soon as I took control of the plane for the first time, I was hooked and rather than just getting my GFPT, over the next four years I slowly got my PPL, CPL and MECIR and finally quit my office job and brought a one-way ticket to the top end of Australia in search of my first aviation job. At this stage I was 26, married and had a one-year-old boy who stayed in Sydney while I gallivanted across the country looking for work as a pilot. A quick side note about the industry here. It is completely unheard of to go straight from a flight school into the right-hand seat of a jet like you guys in Europe do. There are one or two regional airlines that have small cadetship programs, but they only fly small turboprops and even so their cadets can only make up a small percentage of pilots. 99% of flight school graduates have to find a jobs flying small GA airplane aircraft like Piper Warriors and Cessna 172s and 182s doing scenic flights flying the post or instructing. I ended up finding a job flying a Piper Warrior in a country town in New South Wales which coincidentally is the same town that the giant satellite dish that received the TV signal from the moon for the Apollo 11 mission when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walked on the moon. Flying over that dish was amazing as it is huge but more on that another time I think. The plane I ended up flying was a 1979 clapped out PA-28 with its back two seats removed that we filled with freight. I then became a part-time pilot and part-time courier as I spent the next eight months flying from one town to another and delivering post to all the businesses out in these small country towns. Eventually I moved on to flying more freight but this time in a Piper Chieftain which is a light twin-engined aircraft and then moved on to fly the same aircraft type that the great Bob Hoover flew when he did his amazing air shows, the Shrake Aero Commander. These I flew, I guess, the equivalent distance of London to Aberdeen and back every single day, single pilot, IFR, stopping six times on my way out and six times on my way back in. It was awesome flying, going from the beautiful east coast of Australia right into the desert of the outback and everything in between. And by this time, aviation had definitely gotten into my blood. The people, the planes, and the amazing views. And by this stage, I had two kids, and my love of aviation had definitely infected both my boys. Even my wife was starting to catch the aviation bug. Eventually, after flying a few years of singles and light twin piston engine aircraft around, I made the move to an airline and I now fly a Saab 340 turboprop, a beautiful 34-seat commuter-type aircraft out of Sydney, and the love for aviation grows more and more and more that I hang around. I would have to say one of the best parts is that from the ground handlers to the pilots and even the guys taking photos at the viewing points at all the airports, almost everyone is here because they love the industry, and we all share that love of flying. I love that for most of us started at a young age, like it did with me, watching the A4 Skyhawks blast overhead when I was eight years old.
I'm not even quarter of the way through my flying career, but all the stand-downs and furloughs that have happened because of COVID-19 have really made me reappreciate how lucky we all are to be part of this great industry. Whether we're pilots, cabin crew, or even just aviation enthusiasts, who happen to start one of the best aviation podcasts, mind you. <clears throat> I love how it all just feels like one big weird family. I now have three kids, all of which have now caught the aviation bug, especially my one-year-old daughter. Every time a plane flies over our house on its way into or out of Sydney Airport, she cranks her head skyward and waves bye-bye at all the planes. It wouldn't surprise me if she could say the word plane before she could say the word mum or dad. Anyway, that's just a brief overview of how aviation has become such a big part of my life. I'll include as well some photos for Matt to put up if he can show you some of the reasons why I love this job so much. I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. All the best guys and keep the podcast going. I've been listening since the beginning of 2014. I'm yet to tire of it. Love your work. Jacob, a.k.a. News and SW Aviation on Instagram. I like, he, I like he gave himself a little plug on Instagram. <laughs> good work, everyone. Very good. That was a really great story. Thank you very much. What a nice kind of progression from, you know, start to finish. You know, even with uh, having children and stuff, he mm. still managed to, um, well, to fulfil his dream, I suppose. It's just so... Exp I mean, this is the thing that will always blow, blow my mind. It's just so expensive, isn't it? There mm. is no there, there is no cheap way of flying and learning mm. to fly. And if you mention the word aviation, yeah, just yeah, and very expensive. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Very, very large <laughs> dollar signs and exclamation marks are plenty. Yes. Ooh, plus, plus, Jacob gets to fly in some very nice parts of uh, of the world. True. Absolutely true. Absolutely mm. true. Now you've mm. got a box there, Steph. That you were just what? What, what are you doing? There? Oh, yeah, um, they had a little uh, pause there while that segment was playing, and there was a. Uh, package at the door. Oh, so. a delivery. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh. yeah. I, I, sorry, I'm getting all excited. Something aviation thing. related. Yeah, no, no, no. Actually, <laughs> I think it's stuff for my, uh, it should be camera stuff for my phone. Camera, oh, actually. Dear. There we go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, mind. Steph, we've, sure. we've got you on the show, and uh, obviously, you know, you're, you're having a bit of a break uh, from. Uh, from the other show that you, you've left now, because mm. obviously you've joined PTU. <laughs> oh, is that, was, was that also in the contract? I don't remember. Um, reading that yeah, when I what, it yeah we have to check these contracts in future, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Absolutely. Steph, you've, uh, you've been doing some flying recently. Obviously, I think you've been up a few times with, uh, or be, you've been uh, flying in the same vicinity as Armando a few times. But uh, yeah. how, how is the, uh, how's the flying going? What, what, uh, what have you been up to? Flying has been going very well. I think since the last time I really talked to y'all, I um, uh, kind of, it's just kind of funny how these things happen sometimes. It's the right connection, right places, right times. It's certainly not something you expect to end up doing a bunch more of during a pandemic, but been um, with one of the local drop zones doing a whole bunch of flying of skydivers. They kind of um, took me under their wing and um, did a fair amount of training in terms of getting current in some turbine aircraft, um, primarily our Quest Kodiak and a couple other ones probably in the near future here as well. So lots and lots of flying this, this summer, actually, most every weekend um, in terms of getting out there, actually flying the jumpers and then doing studying and all that other good stuff for the actual aircraft, um, which has been a ton of fun. Um, I was actually very, very busy for a couple of weeks there during the summer, um, basically 
work all day during the week or work every day during the week and then fly jumpers all day during the weekends. Um, so it was like working seven days a week, basically. Oof. Although the flying jumpers part was a lot more fun than, <laughs> yeah, than my day I job, I will say. I can um, but yeah, uh, you know, Armando's not here today, but where he is and where I am, you know, we both fly for local drop zones and we're about 40 miles apart from each other. So it's, it's pretty funny on the weekends because usually um, the initial air traffic control facility that we call up in Charlotte, we call up the same frequency. So oftentimes we'll hear each other talking to air traffic control, um, which is, is kind of fun. So he knows when I'm flying. I know when he's out flying and kind of what's going on there. Um, what else? So, um, so what's, what's it like, Steph, flying the, the Kodiaks? I know that's um, that's quite a popular plane out in, in the US. It's also, um, I think it's, it's a four-bladed, constant-speed, mm -hmm. feathering reversible. Um, mm, you did your, your homework on the yeah, yeah. Kodiak. Sure. Uh, I actually, I actually follow, follow someone on YouTube who flies, a bush pilot who flies one of these. Um, so they're, they're really very popular for bush flying, um, a lot mm. more than, than most other types of flying. You'll find them occasionally as um, jump planes and other kind of, corporate really short um, kind of distance or maybe people who have their own private one if they have you know some remote um, areas that they fly into for personal property type type stuff if they have remote cabins and things like that um, but yeah definitely a, a very capable aircraft uh, it's got the pt6 a34 in it um, it's I, I think it's a lot of fun to fly for a jump plane um, it's a relatively new one and it's got a lot of fancy avionics that don't often come in jump planes so that's always kind of funny it's a, most jump planes are on the older side they've had you know they've been repurposed into second or third life um, down the road from their original mission so they usually are uh, you know various uh, hodgepodge or patchwork of different avionics and things that have been put in taken out over time this one is you know Garmin G1000 screens and <laughs> autopilot that works. It feels very, it's, it's, uh, it'll spoil you in a hurry as a, as a jump plane, but, but it's but a lot compare, of fun to fly. Compare that to the caravan, which you, you obviously fly as well. It, uh, what, what would you, yeah. So actually preference? I don't have a ton of caravan time. Um, mm -hmm. um, there was one at the drop zone a couple years back when I started jumping there that I had a few hours of right seat time in, and they've actually just brought one back. So, I mean, probably like, six or eight hours total in the right seat of a caravan. Um, no, they're both great aircraft to fly. They fly very similarly, I would say, in terms of their their capabilities and characteristics and, and all of that. So I don't know that I have a, a preference between those two. We have a, um, our drop zone has a twin otter as well, which is quite the airplane to fly. So Steph, you, um, you were chatting earlier with us and uh, saying about some, some nighttime um, flying that you might be possibly doing. Yeah, so every once in a while, um, uh, drop zones will offer night jumps for qualified jumpers. So the requirement here in the United States is there's four different categories of, um, or actually there's plenty more than that, but uh, skydiving license to start with an A license, then a B license, C license, D license, as you do more jumps and have more training and, and things along those lines. So if you are a B license skydiver, you can participate in night jumps. So... Uh, the requirements being that you make a jump at the drop zone during daylight hours during on that day and then obviously after the sun sets after dusk make a night jump how and you have to have i can't imagine how difficult it must be steph to, to, to i don't know to... i so i've never done it i've never actually made <laughs> i have a b license but i've never had any desire to do a night jump but um assuming all goes to plan tomorrow i'll be flying the night jumpers so i'll let you know how that goes on a future show or segment 
so from a piloting point of view, how much difficult is more difficult is that for you to obviously to climb to? Is it eleven or twelve thousand feet that you? We do fourteen. Fourteen. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. um, it's not going to be any more difficult, especially if we're, especially in the Kodiak. Um, that's going to be no different than than daytime, because mm -hmm. um, we, are, you know, our spots are all based off of GPS and, mm. and everything else, so that doesn't make any any big difference. Wow, there you go, Matt. Look, that's your ideal, ideal opportunity. You can jump at night and you, you won't even know you're, you know. What's it's the attraction? So Neil Lanor wants to know, what's the attraction of night jumping? Um, something different to do. Uh, you know, there's, there's a little bit of an entertainment value. There are some jumpers who want no part of it, but they come down to the uh, drop zone anyway when it happens so that they can, can watch the um, event as it takes place. Mm. They, ref they may refer to it as heckling. <laughs> but. Is, it, is it a fancy dress uh, for the for the jump staff? Or? So um, for anyone who's just spectating tomorrow and not jumping, they're supposed to be in costume. That is the, uh, the alternative. If you don't come to jump, you have to come in costume. Um, so at the, at, at, I was going to say, at the, at the parachute school where, near where me and Matt live here, which you've, I think you've seen and you've been to, and actually it's not far from where Matt, uh, mm -hmm. Yard is where his uh, coach is. Um, you, you tend to find is a, a lot more tandem jumpers there than there are um, single sport jumpers. Sport sure. jumpers. Is is that the case where where you are, or is there more? Is it more of a sort of a, a, a tag? Mm, know, it's a lot uh, more evenly matched. I think you'd actually yeah. probably find more. I mean, uh, an average load is probably filled up with. Uh, it depends on the day. It depends on weekdays versus weekends. Um, but there's a fair number of sport jumpers, definitely. They might do five or six jumps a day. Uh, so uh, Richard Adams is actually answering, asking in the chat room, uh, how well is wind drift spotted for at night? So it really shouldn't be any different than during the day. Um, we use forecast winds, and we're going to be flying all day as well. Typically, those winds, typically, they'll, they'll die off a little bit, especially surface winds at night. So those can be expected to be less. Um, but at our, you know, at the airfield, there's... Uh, windsock out on the field there's a tetrahedron um you should know what your winds are as you're jumping so i mean, I mean it's been said a bit a little bit of it in a sort of like a jokey way here is it can't see the ground not yet not yet not yet thump i mean how, how genuinely how do you is it how do you know when like distances and stuff are involved to know that you're um you're not you're going to pull the parachute at the right time i mean are you watching altimeters on risk yeah so you have a yeah. lighted altimeter Right. Um, okay. You have to be able to see that. Well, that's boring. And you know you'll be able to see that all the way, you know, <laughs> down through your pattern altitude, and then they will light the field in the landing area. Right. Okay. So it won't be completely. I know, dark. but that's you know when you when you're several hundred thousand, you know, when you're several thousand feet up, it you know I don't suppose it looks particularly big. The you know the the light is isn't you couldn't do uh, it on that alone. I don't think could you. Well, you want your altimeter. That just makes things safe. And a lot of yeah. jumpers will have audible altimeters too in okay. their helmets. So it'll beep at a predetermined or preset altitude. <laughs> wow. Yeah, indeed. Mm -hmm. uh, Graham's saying in the chat room here, um, avoiding fancy dress seems like a good enough reason to throw myself out of an aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, that's probably... You hate dressing extreme. up that much for yeah. Halloween? <laughs> uh, not wearing a costume. Let's do a parachute jump instead. It's fine. <laughs> Actually, how, how much planning, Steph, go, goes into to a, a, a jump flight as a pilot yourself? In kind of in yeah, it... Um, so most of it's just based on winds and uh, planning out the jump run and the spot. Um, we were actually talking about it this morning because you may know that we had a uh, 
some some of your viewers might know there was a remnant of a hurricane that blew through our area yesterday created some quite high winds not a lot of rain but definitely high winds um, I'm going to actually pull back up because I was having a discussion with someone about uh, jump run this morning trying to plan it out um, sometimes it's tricky because you can have winds aloft that are um, coming from a different direction than ground winds. So you want to know what your freefall winds are and also your canopy winds, because those are two different things. You're gonna spend more time on your canopy. So you have to take into account either planning your jump run in the right direction or offsetting it so that um, when jumpers are under canopy, um, they're not going to be fighting winds trying to get back to the drop zone. We're pretty lucky we have a gigantic landing area. Um, it's still possible to miss it with a bad spot or bad planning, but it's it's pretty forgiving, I will say, in comparison to some places, especially in comparison to where um, Armando does his uh, flying for his drop zone. That's a much, much smaller space. Um, so this morning, uh, winds on the ground were relatively light, like seven knots out of northwest, I think. 3,000 feet, 18 knots out of 335. Um, but then you got up to, so we're dropping from 14,000 feet. So at 12,000 feet, winds were out of the west at 40 knots and at 15,000 feet at 50 knots. Wow. So that's a little bit interesting. You have to calculate, you know, you have to think as jumpers get out of the plane, they're gonna drift back, you know, with the relative winds under free fall. Um, there are some things that we don't really want to drop people over. We don't want to get too far north of our drop zone because there's uh, forests and trees and stuff that don't make for good landing areas, body of water. So we try not to let people out too far that direction or, or run, jump, run in that direction if we can help it. And so then you end up going, you know, you end up kind of doing this geometry of fly into the, um, so on jump, run, fly into the prevailing winds, but then offsetting so that under canopy, if the winds are a different direction, that that will be accounted for, if that makes sense. You know, there's three things, isn't there, Matt? That uh, that surround uh, the the drop zone where the where the local one is near us. One is uh, a race track, like a go kart track. The other one is a huge solar panel farm. Uh, uh, yes, a solar panel farm with solar panels. And the other one is a huge. Um, it's called a biomass. It's a huge domes where they uh, they ferment all the sort of kind of greenery and stuff and they produce <laughs> gas and stuff from it and that and it absolutely stinks ladies and, and gentlemen. it absolutely <laughs> stinks and those are three things that are all in really close proximity to the drop zone mm. um at, uh, at beckles near where where we are absolutely yeah so the the jump pilot there is taking all that into account in terms of where they want to have people getting out of the plane um and then taking into account what the winds are going to do once they do so Mm. That is true. That Sometimes is the winds true. can be pretty tricky. I mean, we've definitely had days where upper level winds and canopy winds are almost 180 degrees off. That makes for some, and, and or blowing very strong at just one specific altitude, like around, you know, between three and 4,000 feet. It's 20 knots higher than at any other altitude. Um, and that's right where people are opening their canopies. It, it makes for some interesting times sometimes. Actually, Steph, before we, before we close up, how, what are the yeah. price kind of prices and stuff for the um, for the jump? For obviously, it's a tandem jump for someone who for a tandem jump. And... Yeah, I will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Steph gets paid. <laughs> to, to, uh, yeah, well, that's. Uh, I don't get paid as much there as I do to uh, appear on your show. Um, <laughs> so yeah, more than more, more than the rest of us apparently. <laughs> 
<laughs> I want your lawyer. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should you should uh, check with your um, yeah, yeah. Check your contract. Yeah, mental note. Uh, yeah. Let's see here. I was gonna give you so a tandem skydive during the weekday or weekend is two hundred and forty dollars. Yeah, that's that's yeah. that's quite that's quite a lot cheaper than what it is for us here, Matt. And then if you want, you know, like a video and and picture package, that's another up to $100 probably. You you keep saying this, Carlos, as if it's A, a subject that I know anything about whatsoever, and B, a subject that I'm ever likely to want to know anything about ever. (laughs) I just work out how much it's going to cost for us to to, to get you. Anyway. Nothing, because it won't be happening. It's as simple as that. It's about about $388 here. I literally couldn't care less. I literally couldn't care less. There's a couple of other questions here. I'll answer those from the uh, chat room. Uh, yeah. Neil Lanworn says, how much does physical fitness matter when jumping? It matters. Even if you're just doing a tandem skydive, um, you really want to have enough core strength on landing to be able to get your feet up and out in front of you. Um, that makes the tandem instructor's job a lot easier uh, when, when landing. Um, See, another good reason why I can't do it. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> Then Micah wants to know if there's a weight limitation. That varies by drop zone, but generally around 225 pounds. Excellent. Uh, is the weight limitation <laughs> for a tandem jump? Great news, not happening. Two days. Actually, Neil says about the, the about the cold. I, I, I can one of the things that I always remember from from the time that Stuart took me up in the caravan here, and I sat right seat, was when the jumpers had all jumped out and the door was left open behind. We're still us. open. Yeah, how were you freezing? Really cold yeah. it was. It gets up really there. cold sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we're already going up to about it's probably just over eleven thousand feet that we went up to, mm-hmm. but it mm-hmm. was it was chilly, very yeah. chilly. Yeah. I bet. It can it can definitely get chilly. Okay. Funny. Um, so in the the Kodiak, the you can close the door. There's a, a handle that you pull on. Ah, it's got like a tension wheel to it. Ah, yeah, um, so not. sometimes you'll drop jumpers and if it's especially on warm days it's really noticeable you'll get back down and you'll open the door back up if you shut down or something and the air inside the aircraft is still cold from being up at fourteen thousand feet oh right yeah of course yeah it's kind of interesting wow. yeah i bet yeah fogs up a little bit i dare ups, say ups, yeah sometimes <laughs> you get sometimes it does fog yeah, yeah i bet which I is bet. interesting always on short final and always. now we can always rely on Micah, you see. This is what we always have to try and remember. Is my, Micah is the king of birthdays as far as we're concerned. So uh, I think it's worth mentioning that uh, what he's saying here, Nick, as a side note, uh, it needs to be mentioned on today's show. Sunday is Nev's birthday, and on Monday, the lovely and youthful Gemma, the best part of the show, celebrates her 18th birthday look. There we go. Yes, she does. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you've actually got her a present. You're not finding out from um, Micah that, uh, you know, it's supposed to be her birthday. No, I found out from my mum. Oh, no! <laughs> That's terrible. That's what mums are for. (laughs) Right, okay. Well, happy birthday, Nev. Happy birthday, Gemma. Oh, thank Quite. you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'll wake her up. I'm, I'm genuinely horrified, Carlos. I, I don't know what to say. And, and, <laughs> and listeners, that's why that's why Moon Pig was invented. Right. Okay. Yeah, but it doesn't sound like you had the reminder on it. <laughs> no, I forgot to put that bit on. Yeah. Right. Anyway, there we go. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're getting something. <laughs> now that I actually believe. What, what I believe Anderson that 100. Yeah. Oh. I, I something I, that I, Carlos got for himself on plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, divorce. After, yeah. after everything, after everything that's in here now, yeah, and, yeah. and, and the window, yeah. I think if I done that, yeah, 
Okay. I would. Yeah. I would have yeah. to. Move. So Gemma, for her birthday, had a divorce. Essentially, that's what she'd have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Lovely. And that's, ladies and gentlemen, where we need to start bringing things to a close. Yes. Social media links. Don't forget to look us up on social media: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Search for Plain Talking UK. Don't forget as well the WhatsApp number if you want to put your picture on either my green screen or Matt's green screen in the PTK studios. Plus four four seven five seven two two. Four nine one six six. You can email the show podcast at plaintalkinguk.com, and also don't forget to check out our website www.plaintalkinguk.com. On there, you'll find the links to Patreon. Where you, you, if you haven't already uh, joined us on Patreon, you can join us on Patreon, and uh, you can donate to the show through that, which helps to uh, obviously bring the show to you each week Dr. and Steph covers does. covers all our costs. Obviously, Mind with her new contract, she can now. afford to. Uh, with Dr. <laughs> Steph, yeah, we can do, you can do it with some more patrons now. Yeah. And uh, it links to pay, uh, PayPal on there as well if you want to make a one-off donation to the show. We would love that as well. That's very kind of you indeed. Also, there's a link on there to Amazon. If you do your shopping on Amazon, click on the link for our website and we get a small referral fee for that. Um, only once this week. Sorry, Matt. Oh, um, you yeah, you sorry. had one job. Um, I know. Um, <laughs> it, was, it, it, was, it was 24 quid, to be fair. Yeah. Um, Oh, uh, so yeah, you can yeah. click on them. And also, don't forget as well, we have got our glorious PTUK T-shirts on offer on the website. If you haven't already got yourself a PTUK T-shirt, they are 100% cotton, lovely, gorgeous T-shirts with the embroidered logo on the front and uh, the print on the back as well. So you can grab yourself one And of those. the mugs, don't forget the mugs. And also, if you want to have a really nice cup of coffee or a cup of tea or cup yeah. of beer or cup of whiskey or whatever you are having a cup you can get yourself a ptuk mug through the website as well which uh has it's gone down quite well actually the mugs have been um, good quality yeah. mugs have been good quality yeah so yeah grab yourself a mug mm. so uh also tomorrow night if you are at home and uh, you're locked down or locked in or stuck in or just can't go out anywhere which is what most of the world are at the moment if you want to join me and someone called matt in who's going to be the voice in Don't my ear tomorrow night, <laughs> uh, i will be doing a live streamed kitchen disco one of the ones we do each month from live from my kitchen downstairs and that will be an all request and shout out kitchen disco and that's kicking off at 7 p.m uk time tomorrow night and you can find me at through the links uh, on my facebook page and also if you take yourselves over to all the w's dot twitch dot tv forward slash black box discos you will find me on twitch broadcasting that tomorrow night so dr steph social media reminders for our listeners from where obviously the show that you used to be uh, a part mm, of mm, the show that i was formerly a part of and may in the future be a part of again <laughs> i am it, so no. sorry Dad, will... steph i don't know what's the matter with him i can only apologize <laughs> we're, we're brief hiatus, a brief here, hiatus we will absolutely be. this is just our our gift to you to allow you to go back and re-listen to any episodes that you may have missed or listen to episodes you may have missed because we you know we put out quite a bit Good of content point, yeah. Or if there is a favorite in the past that you want to re-listen to, or maybe just start from number one. Uh, that would be yeah. the Airline Pilot Guy show. Um, that's at uh, airlinepilotguide.com. You can also find us on all the usual social media sites. Twitter and Instagram are at APG Crew, and Facebook is facebook.com slash airlinepilotguy. Um, if you want to find me personally on Twitter, I'm at Dr. Steph Plum. Uh. 
There we go. Yes, yeah, it's a great opportunity to actually catch up, as you say. So if anybody who is a little bit behind on their listening, then they've got a little bit of time mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. get themselves back up. Yes, so we're but gonna... not, not too much longer because I hear rumors it's uh, we won't be on break for for very long. Oh, that's great news. That is awesome news. Yeah. Let, well, as, as soon yeah, let us know as soon as you know. That's going to be good. Uh, so that is where we're going to bring episode three hundred and forty-two to a close. Um, Big thanks to all the chat room tonight. You've been awesome as always. So thanks for joining us are all in the chat room Indeed. lovely to see you all so that uh, is now we, we, we normally obviously we've got titles and things to play here but as it's halloween we're going to finish the show with a little bit of covid related halloween music calling all cars calling all cars man trying to enter an office building on fourth and main with no mask repeat no mask I walked into my job late last week when my co-workers all began to freak. They started cursing and began to shout and said quite rudely as the boss threw me out. You need a mask. I need a COVID mask. A COVID mask. It seemed a lot to ask. To wear a mask. To do a simple task. Put on a mask. I need a COVID mask Made it mandatory almost every place That we can't be seen unless we hide our face I can't even leave my humble abode Without something covering my mouth and nose We need a mask We need a COVID mask A COVID mask It seems a lot to ask To wear a mask Can't even mow my grass Without a mask Without a COVID mask, this mask wearing isn't fun, and the snitching has now begun. My neighbor called the hotline, cause my dog wasn't wearing one. Walking through the mall, a woman's voice did ring, seemed she was troubled by just one thing. She pointed to the door, shook her fist and said, What are you trying to do, you jerk? Make everybody sick? Forgot his mask. Forgot my COVID mask. COVID mask. Nobody gets a pass. That stupid mask. Can't even pump my gas. Without a mask. Without a COVID mask. I'm home. What do you want? I need to come in and get my mask. Show my daddy in the house, Mommy. He's been wearing his mask. No mask, no entry. Sorry. But, honey. You should have taken it with you. You're not getting in this house. I yeah, it's a bit of Halloween fun. That's what we need. There we go. It is. So from me, Carlos, here in my home studio, from Matt in the PTUK Master Suite studio, and from Dr. Steph in her home studio. Have a great weekend, everyone. Stay safe and see you all next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye.